Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Well, friends, welcome back. We're glad you joined us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, my name is John Russell. And I'm here with my faithful sidekick, Frank Friedman. How are you doing, my friend? It's good to see you today. Hey, my friend, doing very, very well. How are you doing? You're doing pretty good out there? I am well. I had a great bicycle ride this morning. Summer has finally begun to break here in Southern Arizona. So it's encouraging. The next six months will be like heaven. Uh, but after that, <laughs> you know, this place is, uh, it can get kind of warm sometimes. <laughs> well, uh, dear friends, if you've been listening to us, you'll know that we've been chatting our way through Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And we invite you in to listen to those others because they do capture a lot of the 30 plus years experience that Pastor Frank has in dealing with hurting people from the pulpit and especially from the counseling office. So please take a listen to those. But I wanna jump right in today and do a little bit of review Frank, last time we finished up with talking about Job, and we considered what happened to him. He lost his kids, he lost his health, he lost his, his welfare, and he winds up at the very end saying these cool words to his God, in the past, I knew what others said about you, but now I know you personally. And then we talked about the three guys in the fiery furnace. Remember them? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we talked about how they refused to obey the king's command uh, to worship an idol. And so they, as an example, were bound up and thrown into a furnace. And then they were free in the furnace. And another, the son of God, walked with them. So, Frank, I want to begin with that point. Okay, those two examples paint what seems like a gruesome picture of life, but it's really pretty accurate at times. Not all of us lose 10 children like Job did, but many of us lose some and all of us lose people we love. Not all of us are bound and thrown into a furnace, but you know, a lot of us in this world are persecuted, some even martyred. And all of us, even in this country, feel the incredible pressures of life that can seem to bind us and like we're being thrown into a furnace. And so between our, our circumstances and our experiences and these descriptions that we saw from Daniel and from Job, Frank, these don't seem like an ethereal float through the world. You know, we live in a cursed world that's populated by billions of lost people. And frankly, I get a little annoyed when I hear preachers talk about prosperity and health and blessing. And in my world, my friend, reality looks and sounds so much different. Uh, am I missing something? No, I think you're right, John. And I think when preachers do that, they set people up 
for frustration and disappointment. It's a direct violation, contradiction, 180 degrees opposite of what the Bible teaches. You know, Jesus started it in his gospels. He said, you will have tribulation in this world. And the word there that he used for tribulation is Philipsis. Tough word to say, uh, tough word to endure. But what it really means is pressure. Uh, pressure. And boy, that's a great descriptive word for what people are experiencing in our modern world with the pandemic and health fears and rumors of war and economic crash and how we're going to provide for our family and the drudgery of work and the hour commute on the interstate as a pressure, pressure, pressure. And then, you know, Paul said, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. I think that's a fascinating verse because he didn't say you have to live godly. He just said, desire it. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And uh, the trouble's coming. So I think we have to realize, John, and we're not going to be pessimists. I mean, that's not who we are. But we're realists. We've got to be honest. We don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. The world's under a curse. And the world is filled with people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And when that's true, they're going to be desperate for life and they're going to manipulate and control and use and abuse to get that life. And then Christians who don't walk with God are going to function just like unbelievers and try to get life. So the potential for pain, loss, hurt, and sorrow, I like the way Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4, death comes at us every day. And he's not talking physical death. It's the death of dreams, the death of hopes. It comes every day. And for pastors to portray the Christian life as this utopia, it's just wrong. Because people are going to end up either doubting God or thinking they don't have enough faith. And both of those are wrong conclusions. Yes, they are. I've spent some time very early in my Christian walk in a church like that, and it still leaves a bitter taste in my mouth when I think about it. Now, Frank, in your book, you use a phrase that uh, really sounds like it's a discord in the minds of believers, but it's really not. You use the phrase, the agony of faith. Okay, open this up for us. What's going on here when you think about that phrase? Absolutely, John. I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people think that this new covenant, this uh, sphere or economy of grace in which we live is produces an ethereal float. It's almost like a name it, claim it grace. And it's just set your mind and everything's going to be all right. Well, that's denying what Paul said in his pastoral letters. He said faith is a fight. He said, fight the good fight. And the Greek word has actually been mistranslated. It's agonize. Agonize in the good agony. You say, well, what would make this an agony? Well, I think it's twofold. We look with our physical eyes at the world. And it's tough out there. We don't see God with our physical eyes. Uh, We do see our resources with our physical eyes. 
And so I think what he's really saying is it's very easy when trouble comes our way to try to deliver ourselves with our meager resources. And even though they're meager, we still try. But it's very, very hard to take our eyes off of the world and off of our resources and trust to God we cannot see. That's tough. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. When you think about it, Frank, how is that different from the same decision that our Savior made? Now, Scripture mm-hmm. tells us that for the joy set before him, which, by the way, includes us, includes you yeah. and me, man, <laughs> uh, for the joy set before him, our Savior endured the cross and he despised the shame. He didn't let shame and condemnation stick to it, stick to him. He trusted his father because he knew there was life everlasting at the other end. And if he faced his crises with that mindset, uh, that's how he will empower us to face ours, not to deny it, you know, as we float through life, like it's an ether and nothing hurts us, not to turn our back on it, pretend it doesn't exist, but to embrace it, as we talked about a few episodes ago, own it and uh, trust our Father through it. You know, our Jesus is a good example for how we are to walk, isn't he? Oh, yeah. You know, when it says he was sweating blood, my goodness, John, that's some kind of anxiety. So, and I love that he gave us that example that it isn't triumphalism. It's saying yes to God, trusting God, even when you don't feel like it. He said, point blank, is there any way out of this cross? It doesn't sound good to me. But then he said, nevertheless, I'll go. And and it's the same thing when Lazarus died. You remember back in John 11? Right. Uh, he wept. Now, I got to believe that he knew he was going to raise him from the dead because he delayed and said it was going to be for a miracle and called them of little faith and all of that. But even so, he, he knew that he was going to raise him. He still wept. And I love that, that he experienced the fallen human arena. And that was okay. And that's, I think, one of the things that we need to learn is that it's, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to suffer loss. Just realize that's not the end of the story. And enter into the agony of trusting the God you don't see over and against what you do see. And uh, the joy's coming. The mercies are new every morning, like Jeremiah said. That's right. And just as Jesus, at the end of his suffering, bore great fruit for the kingdom, at the end of our suffering, there is also the potential to bear great fruit uh, in our life and the lives of others. So these do not happen in a barren arena. There is fruit that will come from them if we will trust our Father through it. I was watching the other day, Frank, uh, an old cowboy movie where the Indians were hooping and hollering and attacking the settlers. And of course, you've seen these movies as much as I have. We grew up in the same area when Westerns were the rule. And so what do they do? Instead of getting ready and turning themselves over to their their aggressors, they circle the wagons. You know, this is a Mm. great mental picture of how when uh, circumstances occur in our lives, things go south, things don't work as we want to. There's pain and loss. 
we'll do everything we can to circle our wagons, so to speak, marshal our resources, rally our enthusiasm, and fight our hardest against what's happening. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that's not the approach that's caught up in the phrase, the agony of faith, is it? No, it's the hard work of taking our eyes off of our ability to circle those wagons and off of our tenacity to fight and crying out to God and trusting him. You know, John, we ended the book with a psalm, and it's Psalm 34, 6, and it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He hears their cry. And I believe with all my heart that God is willing to do far more for us than we're willing to let him do because we're going to take care of this ourselves. We'll handle this ourselves and call on God if we need him. And that's really exact opposite of what he really wants for us. It's a cry out to him now because he's there and he stands ready to help. That's right. And you and I both know this, but for our listeners, the hardest thing we will ever do, in fact, sometimes it seems like it's nigh on impossible, but the hardest thing we, can, we will ever do is to put our full trust in someone we don't see. Mm. That's what Father calls us to do. But it's not that we don't see him, because we see the cross. We mm -hmm. see the resurrection. We see our own history with God. We see his faithfulness to us and to those around us. But at that particular moment in time, those old memories kind of get pushed to the side as the tyranny of the here and now uh, tends to mm -hmm. overwhelm us. And it seems like we're putting our trust in someone we don't see, but that's not really true. He has proven himself steadfast and trustworthy to us over and over again. We just have to remember it, grit our teeth and do it. Yeah. You know, when you're saying that, John, there's actually a verse. It's in 2 Corinthians 4. I, I think it's around verses 12 and 13, where he's talking about the struggle when the difficulties come, the death comes at us every day, and we have to trust by faith. He actually says, you have believed in the past, now continue to believe. So it's, it's almost, and he's really pegged us well, the Holy oh, yeah. Spirit, uh, because, well, that was yesterday, Lord, but this one's really big and I can't trust you. And so it was really neat that the Holy Spirit said that. And then instantly in the context, he points to the cross. And the idea is the cross was the greatest suffering of all time. And the thought of the Holy Spirit is, if God can deliver Jesus in the greatest suffering of all time, will he not also deliver us now? And it's, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. And which one of us would compare our suffering? So he's really saying, look at the cross, like you said, John, and continue to believe what you used to believe right. and hang in there because he will show up for you. Pretty, he pretty will. cool. You know, Paul also reminded us in Ephesians 1, we know the hope of his calling. 
the glory of his inheritance. And then he says this, his mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, when I think of my inheritance, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have one, but if I had one, I would think that, you know, it, it contains everything I'll ever need. It's uh, resources, it's power, it's influence. It's everything that's good for me in my own eyes. But God says that my inheritance includes the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. And so if he did raise Jesus from the dead, and we know he did, uh, how much more will he do that uh, for us? Wow. What, a, what a, an interesting way to look at that verse. Frank, you make a phrase in this book a lot. I got to jump thoughts mm -hmm. here a little bit because you said this phrase several times already. And I want to highlight it and give you a chance to comment on it. Okay. Uh, you make a really big deal of the phrase, but God. <laughs> okay, I know that's one of your favorite phrases. So tell us what you mean by that. And why do you think it's so important? Oh, John, I'm goosebumping as you bring that up. In fact, I just got to tell you, about four months ago, I got in the mail anonymously. I don't know who sent it. A T-shirt. And it says, but God. So, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for me. <laughs> so people are listening out there. Those are the two most powerful words I think we can put into our vocabulary as we face this fallen world. In the circumstances, in the context, what the Holy Spirit does is he'll state a negative. And isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit is honest about the world we live in, even when pastors often aren't. So, for example, then he'll say, but God, and then he gives the conclusion of the matter. So it starts way back in Genesis when Joseph was sold into slavery. And, you know, he ends up being the prime minister as God raises him up. And then those brothers appear before him that sold him into slavery. And he reveals who he is. And they're shaking in their boots. And he says, hang in there, boys. You meant it for evil. So there's the negative. Look at the evil, wicked brothers. And it's so honest. And then he goes, but God meant it for good. And, you know, John, we find the phrase in Ephesians 2, which is huge. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, saved us by his grace. And so this becomes our great response. Instead of reacting when the negative, hurtful circumstances of life come, instead of reacting, we grit our teeth, enter into the agony of faith, say, this hurts, but God is in this, and therefore it's not the end of the story. You know, you and I have talked about this, Frank, but perhaps our listeners haven't noticed, and if you haven't, you should. When you're talking to someone, often they'll introduce the word but, and they might say something that they think they believe before they say the word but, but generally what comes after the word but is what they really believe what's the most important thing mm. in their mind. So they might say something, well, I, I know that this verse says uh, this about my circumstance, but let me tell you how I feel. So it's almost like we discard what's before the but, or we give lip service to it, but it's after that word that we really open our heart and lay out 
our playbook, so to speak. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. In fact, my good friend who is now with the Lord, Dan Stone, is the one who pointed that out to me many years ago. He said, you know, Frank, what comes after the but is what we really believe. And so, yeah, we might say something like, boy, God is great and strong and powerful and he is for me, but I don't know how he's going to deliver me from this one, you, you know, and it's it's the key. He was right. Yeah, what follows the but is That's, uh, the You know, important. Frank, if you just take that phrase that you just said and you reverse it. Yes, sir. If you reverse it, I don't know how he's going to deliver me, but my God loves me and he's for me and he's powerful and he can do all things. See, that changes the tone of that entire comment. And it, mm -hmm. it leaves the speaker and the hearer with a bright spark of enthusiasm, of optimism that they're not alone, that their father is still there. He's got this mess in his hands and he's going to work it out somehow. So it really matters what comes out of our mouth, doesn't it? Yes, it does, because, you know, you tie this into another great truth, which is, you know, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Proverbs 23, 7, as we think, so we will be. So what is the final thing left in our mind? If it's the negative, we're going to be doubting God, trying to deliver ourselves. So what follows is really what's at the forefront of our mind. And that's going to be the key to whether we walk in faith and hope or walk in despair. Yes. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that God promises us an eternal, I don't even know what this means, an eternal weight of glory. But I think from now on, whenever something happens to me that I don't particularly care for, I'm going to follow that observation with, yeah, but you know, God has already promised me an eternal weight of glory. And I'm planning, just like Job, to die joyful and content in him. You know, John, as I, I've meditated on those words, it's Second uh, Corinthians 4, I think it's 17 or 18. An eternal keyword, weight. A weight. The word I like to use is he's going to oppress me for all eternity with his glory. <laughs> wow. You know, now that doesn't negate the tears, the pain, no. the grief, the loss, the betrayal, the hurt. It doesn't negate any of that, does it? No. But, you know, while our father's working on being on the good side of the butt, you got to be careful how we say that. I know. <laughs> we're, we're butt people, John. I know. But, you know. So not only is he working on the good ending to our sentences, the eternal weight of glory stuff, but Frank, you say in your book that he's gathering our tears. He doesn't forget our tears, that his tears, that means our pain, our suffering, our grief right now, he doesn't discount. He grabs a hold of that. And he saves it in his own bottle. My goodness, that's, that thought is overwhelming. What's going on here, my friend? This is a huge, huge insight, I believe, John. When trauma comes into our lives, boy, everybody gathers around us. And that's wonderful. But they have to get on with their lives. And so very soon, they move on. 
and we're kind of left holding the bag. And many of us in that traumatic circumstance are saying, wait a minute, how can you get on with your lives? Look what happened. And yet in a very real way, we got to get on with our lives too. And, and there's this thought inside of us that this, this can't just be random. This can't just be pain and then just grit your teeth and keep walking. Especially when we know a God who has promised that he is a God of redemption. He buys back. He makes good. Like that Romans 8, 28, these things are, are going to be worked for good. And so Psalm 56 is so huge because he says, when I see your tears, I collect, this is huge, every single one of them, not one wasted tear. In other words, I'm going to remember with you. I'm going to put them in not a bottle, but my bottle. He claims ownership of those tears. And the key, John, that we bring out in the book is that the Hebrew word there is, is mistranslated. It's not bottle, it's wineskin. And as you know, you and I have been in the scriptures for many, many years together. In the ancient world, they would put grapes into the wineskin, the juice, and over time ferments and becomes wine. And wine always, both Old and New Testaments, a symbol of new life. And now we go, Oh my goodness, he takes our tears, puts them in his wineskin. He claims ownership. He works his life-giving song of redemption, transforms those tears into new wine. And then in the context, it says he writes in our ledger. And I think what he's saying is, what's happened to you right now is a comma. It's not random pain, and it's not wasted tears. Because of who I am and your faith in me, we're going to bring new life out of that sorrowful event. And because you trust me, we're going to write a different ending to your story. Wow. And that's what happened to Job. It's what happened to Habakkuk. It's what happened to Joseph. It's what happened to Jeremiah. And John, it's what happened to us. Yes. And it's what can happen to every single listener. If you'll just put your faith in him, receive what's happened and invite him into it. And you will sing God's song of redemption because he will bring a good ending and we will all dance again. And that, that's almost too good for words. Yeah, it's wow, it's, it, it certainly is. And so listeners, we don't know how you were raised uh, to face pain and hardship. Uh, some families, my family was, uh, was wide open emotionally. So weeping at the, at the slightest thing is a normal response in my brain. But for many others, that's not the case. Uh, Frank, you and I knew a fellow who served as an elder with us many years ago um, who hadn't cried in 30, maybe 40 years by that time. And so the world sometimes tells us that we shouldn't cry. We should suck it up, be, be adults, be strong. But, you know, if you do that, you don't ignore those tears. They kind of build up like water behind a dam. 
And once when that dam breaks, boy, it can be it can be a real mess. Jesus invites us uh, to own our tears just like he does. He invites us to explore our tears just like he does. And he invites us to invite him to explore those tears with him. God has created us emotional creatures, and it really is necessary as if we're going to explore the healing that Father wants to make for us in our pain and suffering. Mm. You know, John, the first step to beginning a journey is to have a starting point. <laughs> uh, no journey begins without a starting point. And I think the starting point is to, as we talked about the last several weeks, do the radical thing. Quit trying to deny or anesthetize what happened to you. Quit fighting against it. Quit writing in your own mind scripts of non-reality that, you know, it happened differently or it could have happened differently and sit down in it, embrace it, invite God into it and start the journey with him. This is his promise. He'll store up your tears and he'll write a glorious new ending. Wow. Can't put a price tag on that, John. No, sir, Just you can't. But you know, my friend, you and I both have experienced this talking to people that emotions are really powerful. And if you're not used to expressing your emotions, they can be pretty scary. Mm. And so if you're raised in a home where, you know, your emotions are simply frowned upon, this is going to be hard for you to invite Jesus into your pain when you don't even bother to go there yourself because mm. of the emotional turmoil that's wrapped around that hurt. And so emotions are a gift from God. And this is all part of what he wants to work in our lives for healing. And it, it may wind up, Frank, being multiple steps for some people because before they can explore the emotions surrounding their pain, they've got to unpack their emotions, period. Mm -hmm. And some people probably have been reluctant to do that. But boy, I would encourage you in the name of Jesus, um, to explore the gift of your emotions. Ask Father to take you by the hand, lead you through that. I know there's so many places out there, uh, a lot of churches where uh, emotions are fueled, manipulated. Don't go there. Invite the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to take you by the hand and to gently and tenderly lead you through your emotions. You can trust him. He's not mm -hmm. scary. He's not going to... Uh, catch you off guard. He's going to take your hand and unpack what your father gave you and, and show you what's in these emotions uh, that will give you a better glimpse of your savior and of your relationship with your savior. Wow. Yeah. And what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're in a culture, John, where, you know, we even say things like, oh, they wear their emotions on their sleeves as if it's you're not supposed to be emotional. And, you know, we got to remember that our country was originally settled by the British. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's almost like when uh, God made the sun stand still and Joshua and everybody was like praising God, you know, if it was a British gospel, they'd have said, my word, look what God did, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so reserved. And, you know, I've actually had people ask me about David because, you know, he rejoices one minute and he's crying the next. And they've asked me if he's bipolar. And I say, no, 
He's the total man. He's got both feet in planet Earth, and he's got both feet firmly planted in God. And so he experiences all that a fallen world can throw at him, while at the same time, he experiences all that God provides for him. And he is, in personification in the Psalms, the man walking in, but God. I'm soaking my pillow with tears, but God. And I rejoice at how he has delivered me. And sometimes in faith, I rejoice at how he will deliver me. And this is how we're supposed to walk. But you know, my friend, sometimes the deliverance doesn't come by removing the circumstances. Read Hebrews and the, mm. my goodness, the, the heroes of faith. And from an earthly perspective, things didn't work out too well for some of those, especially the poor person who got sawn asunder. Mm. You know, sometimes God's plan for glory uh, bypasses, so to speak, what we think would be a glorious ending on this mm -hmm. earth. Sometimes he just decides that he needs to take us home. And, uh, you know, that's a totally different conversation. I know that, but it just struck me that uh, the glory that he gives us uh, sometimes doesn't include the ending that we'd like to see, does it? No. And, you know, John, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to go here, but we go where the Holy Spirit leads us. I ended the book with that verse from Hebrews, and really because it was the theme of the book, and that is that we're getting through what we can't get over. So sometimes we put faith in God, and we're not delivered. But here's the amazing, gosh, I don't know if amazing is a good enough word. What does God say of a person who trusts him? and doesn't get delivered, the Holy Spirit says the world is not worthy of that person. Oh my goodness, John, what a word for all of our listeners who are going through something that they've cried out like Paul, take it away, take it away, take it away. And the Holy Spirit doesn't take it away. And he says, no, you have to walk with this one. It's going to keep you dependent on me. And as you do, you're going to find me like you've never known me. What does God say about that person? The world isn't worthy of you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. What a way to end this episode. Thanks, Frank, for just your tremendous insight and uh, your desire to, to help people who are hurting. And friends, thanks again for joining us on, uh, on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, we've been talking about Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It's available on Amazon. Check it out. Visit our website too, ourresolutehope.com. We've got lots of stuff there. Pop us an email. I'll tell you what, let us hear from you. You know, Frank is on some various social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. Reach out. Let us know what's on your mind, what you What's really ministered to you? Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. And as always, we close with our standard reminder, because hope never gets old. And this comes from Hebrews 6. We have a hope, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. When the world is gray and the future looks dark, we have the promise of a Savior. 
Thank you, mm. Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.